Well, inspiration, as we all know, can come in many forms. We are lucky in a liberal religious community like ours to be able to draw from texts held sacred in different traditions, from poetry, from music, from current events, from life itself. This morning, inspiration appears to me from a text, specifically from the pout-pout fish by Deborah Deason and illustrated in all its fishy glory by Dan Hanna. You are perhaps not familiar with the pout-pout fish, an oversight which can be forgiven since the book has not quite yet made it into the canon of spiritual and ethical tomes. My daughter received the book as a gift this Christmas, and it was an instant hit with her, mostly because the title character, that's Pout Pout Fish, makes a recurring sound throughout the story. Blub, blub, blub. You have to do it just that way. I'm sure you can see why this instantly struck me as the perfect way to open the new year with you. Blub, blub, everybody. It was actually not the sound effects, but the plot of this book that got me thinking. It's about a fish, as you might guess, who is convinced that his unique mouth shape, as another character describes it, it is a crosstown frown, has consigned him to life as, to quote him directly, a pout-pout fish with a pout-pout face, so I spread the dreary wearies all over the place. Pout-pout fish has learned a story about himself. We'll never know, of course, whether it was taught to him as a tiny fish egg by his overbearing mother or by a bully in the school. That is between pout-pout and his therapist. What I am interested in talking about today is that idea of story, of how we think about and listen to and create stories about ourselves. I think at this time of year, every newspaper and magazine, every blog and website has some article about resolutions. Gym memberships, of course, are at a steep discount for everyone who is planning to start that workout regime on Monday. And this year, there are a lot of articles about resolving to have better financial health, although it seems to me that it's Congress who should be making some resolutions about market regulation, but I digress. My favorite tidbit about resolutions this season came from the advice columnist Carolyn Hacks, who sponsored an online chat about what she called one of the most common resolutions, to accept ourselves for who we are. Self-acceptance and acceptance of others is a theme in Carolyn's columns. She's forever telling couples that they can't change their partner and instead need to figure out how to be together just as they are. As a spouse myself, I think this is sensible advice. And as a clergy person, I think it is also sound philosophy. In ethical culture, we talk about the inherent worth of each person the deep preciousness we all possess, just as we are. It's a value we try to teach our children, that they matter to the world and to us simply because of who they are, without changing a thing. So that idea of self-acceptance and acceptance of each other 
is one that makes sense to me. But ethical culture also tells us that we are never done changing, that part of our work in this world is to help others to grow into their potential and to make sure that we are growing too. We are called to bring out the best in others and therefore in ourselves, to be growing toward the good. And that, I think, is where resolutions come in. In truth, resolutions can be made and maybe should be made all the time, not just the first of the year. There's a Patsy Cline song that I love about making resolutions in a religious community. I go to church on a Sunday, she sings, the vows that I make, I break them on Monday. Now, I might hope to make it just a little further than Monday, but there is something to be said for making and remaking our vows all the time, for the kind of constant attention to our highest ideals that being in a religious community helps to create. A. Powell Davies, the minister of All Souls Unitarian in the 1950s, put it this way, I come to church, he wrote, and would whether I was a preacher or not because I fall below my own standards and need to be constantly brought back to them. I must feel again the love I owe to others. I must not only hear about it, but feel it. In church, I do. I am brought toward my best in every way toward my best. And you may be wondering what all this has to do with our friend Pout Pout Fish. Pout Pout, as you may remember, believed a story about himself that made him think he could never change, never be anything but dour and dreary. And the truth is, many of us are like Pout Pout, believing stories about ourselves that keep us from making changes, keep us from growing. When that's the case, we barely make it even to Monday with those Sunday morning vows. We can make resolution after resolution, and none of them will stick, because none of them fit with the story that we think is true. I've been interested in this idea of story, of the stories we tell ourselves, since a class in pastoral care I took in seminary. We talked about a kind of counseling often called narrative therapy, which is really helping people to identify the stories they tell themselves or the stories that others tell them and they believe and begin to explore alternative stories, stories that might be healthier or more helpful in their lives. Here's an example from my life. I used to believe a story that I was a bad driver. I don't like driving on highways and I once hit a parking post in a garage. And I needed the examiner to explain a three-point turn during my driver's test. He had to draw it in the dust on my car dashboard. <laughs> All those things are true. And so the story must be true, too. But over time, I have worked on hearing a different story. This story is the one about how I drive all through D.C., handling traffic circles like a pro. It's about good parallel parking skills and always wearing my seatbelt and using my blinker. It's about passing that driver's test the first time, since I did, after all, know how to do a three-point turn. I just didn't know the phrase, it turned out. 
those things are all true, too. So that story that I'm a good driver must be true. Truth is funny, isn't it? We in the liberal religious world know better than anyone that stories can have many kinds of truth, literal truth and metaphorical truth. Stories and even words themselves can hold pieces of the truth, but never all of it. And so we have some freedom to choose our stories, to decide which ones we will hold up as our truth. Of course, our stories, the stories of our lives, can't be just fiction. And so I will never stand up here and tell you that you can think away everything bad in your life, that you can just believe a story about prosperity and success and perfection and look around to find that it is true. True stories have many chapters, times of loneliness and sorrow, of tragedy and heartbreak. We can't, and we shouldn't, pretend our stories don't have those chapters. And it's important to tell the truth about our lives. It's an expression of who we are. You will have a chance to participate in that kind of expression this year as part of the Painting Sunlight Initiative that is building our artistic soul as a community. Mary, who is leading Painting Sunlight with some wonderful lay leaders, We'll tell you more about that storytelling program next week and in the program guide. So keep an eye out for a way to tell your story here at WES. The thing to remember, though, is that we are always a character in our own stories. So what, I wonder, are the stories we tell about our character, about who we are in the midst of the novel of life? Are we stuck like pout-pout, cast as a tragic figure without control over how we act in the world? Or do we tell a story that speaks to our power of agency, that casts us as the hero, facing difficulties sometimes but meeting them, meeting the world with resilience, with compassion, and with love? We are all storytellers in this way, all creators, if we choose to be, of the stories that we live. We are creators, too, of the story we live together, the story of our religious community. We tell stories of who we have been over the years, and we begin to believe them. I visited a congregation once that told a story about itself as a place that could never have evening activities because everyone lived so far away. I asked how far was far, knowing that people do sometimes drive 40, 50 minutes to get to a community that they love. They told me most people were at least 15 minutes away, some as far as 20. Was the story that they told a true one? It was for them because they believed it. We tell stories here at West, of course, stories that tell who we are in a beautiful way, stories that cast us sometimes in a less favorable light. All of them have truth to them, but they all carry a power that goes beyond the truth, too, because they create a kind of reality of their own as they are told and retold. 
Part of a religious leader's job, a wise person once told me, is to tell the story as I see it, the hard, real facts before me. But another part of the job, this wise person went on, is to tell the story as I wish I could see it, the story that I believe could be true if we made it so. And really, that is all of our job. That is our work together as a community, facing reality and creating a new one at the same time, making our way in that liminal space, the border between the story we know and the story we are telling with hope and with faith. Because the beautiful thing about life, about the human heart, is that we can tell new stories. We can believe new stories. Perhaps it is also true about the fish heart, because our friend Pout Pout, you will be glad to know, learned a new story about himself, too. He was helped by a friend, another fish who saw his pouty mouth and the possibility of a different story there. What would a pout be good for other than frowning? For kissing, of course. Pout Pout was so transformed by that kiss that his world changed in an instant. And as the story closes, we see him kissing everything in sight and calling out his newfound sense of self. My friends, said Mr. Fish, I should have known it all along. I thought that I was pouty, but it turns out I was wrong. I'm a kiss-kiss fish with a kiss-kiss face for spreading cheery cheeries all over the place. We're done now with Pout Pout, I promise. <laughs> I really did like the book. This New Year's, I want to take a page from that book and invite us all to think about the stories we tell ourselves, the stories that keep us from making changes in our lives. First, though, we'll spend some time thinking about those changes, about the resolutions, the vows that we hope to make in our own lives or in the context of the religious community that we share. In our meditation, Mary led you through a review of the last year. I want to invite you now to think about the year ahead, to begin the dreaming about what you might want to accomplish, to change, to recommit to in the year ahead. As one or more ideas bubble to the surface, write them down on one side of that card that you have with you. Look at them as they appear on the page. Are these the things you want to commit to in the year ahead? You can cross them out and start again. It's okay. Consider the words until you have it right, until you have down what you want to promise to yourself in the coming year. <laughs> 